Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This morning I want to share with you a message that may be a little bit challenging to you. It's a little bit challenging to me to preach today. When you see the title, you may think, ooh, that doesn't sound that wonderful. I want to talk to you about the kindness and the severity of God. Now, most people, if you talk to them, they have a mindset about the Lord that probably leans to one of those words or the other. As a matter of fact, your, your opinion, your definition of God, your interaction with the Lord, your default probably leans one way or the other. There's a lot of people whose default when they think about the Lord is they think, well, God is just like my grandpa. He just spoils me. He loves me. He would never correct me. He just lets me get by with whatever I want to. And when they think about the Lord, they think about going to grandpa's house. It's, it's my way every way. He just loves me so much. He doesn't care what I do. It's just he's grandpa, right? I know I'm being kind of silly. But you've probably heard some thoughts like that. Others of us, we think of God as being some, you know, Greek God of the past that has a lightning bolt in his hand. And he's just waiting for you to step out of line so he can zap you. Right? Anybody? That was the way you were raised? No one raised me that way. That's just kind of how I grew up thinking of the Lord in a lot of ways. But the truth is, it's not that that God is one or the other. Scripture is going to reveal to us that He is both. And how many understand that it is not our job to define Him? It's not our our job to define who God is, what God thinks, or how God cares for us. That is not our job to define that. See, we hold in our hands this morning the Word of God. And God has defined Himself to us for us. That's a great place to say, oh yeah, God, oh yeah, oh yeah, pastor, I, I get that. Because your silence makes me think you thought the other way. I understand that America in 2024, by and large, our culture, if they have any, any thought of God at all, their idea is that we get to define Him, rather than allowing the Word to define Him and redefine us. Our job is not to define Him or redefine Him. Our job is to get to know Him and to respond to Him. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 11 this morning. The last two weeks we've been looking at Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10. And we've really, I hope the last two weeks, the the Word of God has has stirred you. It's the last two weeks we've been talking, we've been hearing Paul's heart for people who are like him but don't know Jesus. He has been heartbroken that people who, who raised him, who taught him, who, 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 who uh, fashioned him and prepared him, that, that the Israelites, his own people, the Jewish people that which Paul was he, he was, he was heartbroken. He was desperate that those who didn't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. And so the last two weeks, I've been challenging us, the Holy Spirit's been challenging me personally, to make sure that those who are near to me also have an opportunity to be near, near to God. But as much as that was Paul's desire, it had not been the reality. 
As a matter of fact, the closing verse of chapter 10, there's this verse, verse 21, where Paul kind of lays on the line that from God's perspective, in verse 121, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So as much as God favored and loved, and as much as Paul had reached out to his own people, their response had not been good. The people had been disobedient, they'd been obstinate, they'd been standoffish to the things of God. And how many would just be honest enough to say there's been times in my life where I was kind of standoffish towards the things of God, right? And so Paul had a heart for his people, but the people had not developed a heart for God. So the reaction of that is then found in Romans chapter 11, where we're looking at today. And this is a little bit of text. I want to ask you to stick with me this morning. I'm not going to read, probably not going to read all 24 verses, but I'm going to read a lot of it. So Paul asks this question, right? He has this heart for his people to be reached, but they're not responding. So he asks them, here's the question. Did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people who he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel, Lord. They have killed your prophets and they've torn down your idols, I'm sorry, your altars. And I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. So too, at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. You might want to underline that because I think that's true for us today as well. That there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer by works. For if it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel sought so earnestly, it did not obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it's written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so they could not see, and ears so they could not hear to this very day. As David says, may their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and the retribution of them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs uh, be bent forever. Again, I ask, did they stumble so far beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles, which let me just make a pause. You know who the Gentiles are, right? If you looked in the mirror this morning, you looked one dead in the eye. Okay? That's us. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression, transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I will make much of my ministry and hope that they may somehow, that it may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. I want to skip down to where our text is found this morning, the closing parts of that. It says, Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. We'll read the rest of that chapter as we get through the message. Father, I pray that today you would help us to see you, not our definition of you, what we wish was true about you, we would see you. 
Lord, because it's only in our discovery of you that we discover, discover your will for us and your desire for us and your power for us. Lord, help me today to speak the word of God that you won't spoke and help us to respond to the word of God thoroughly this morning and completely. Responding means we're going to give. We're going to submit ourselves to what the word tells us today. Help me to speak what you won't spoke and help us to hear it today together. Everybody in the room said amen. Romans tells us, Romans 11 tells us three things. Three things I want to share with you. Uh, first off, first off, it tells us about kind of how we got in this thing that we call Christianity. How many understand that that Jesus, that our our faith, it, it, you could call it a Jewish faith, right? Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were. Jewish. Paul, the guy who we're writing about today, who wrote most of the New Testament, was a Jew. So it's very, you could just, you could say it, that, that Christianity is a Jewish faith. But many of those of the Jewish faith do not embrace Jesus. So what are you and I doing with this Jewish faith way over here in Cabot, Arkansas? You ever thought about that? I know the storybook picture of Jesus they may have shown to you in Sunday school looked like Jesus was from California. Long blonde hair. It looked like he just got off a surfboard. But that is not a true description of who Jesus is, right? So how did we get here? Well, by and large, the Jewish people rejected Jesus. And so Paul describes it as just as, as they denied who Jesus was, they were cut off from, many of them were cut off of the, of the true vine, the tree of God, and that gave room for others, you and I, Gentiles, those who were not of the, uh, of the family of God by birthright. It allowed you and I to be grafted in. And that word graft, I know many of you know what it is, if not all of you. That, that's, the, uh, that's the process by which they would take a, a vine or a branch that was originally not part of the tree. Maybe they were, it was a wild shoot, but they would cut it off and they would bring it to the main tree and they would wrap it around it. And that thing that used to not be a part of it, it grew into being a part. And that's what God does for all of us. Though we were far from God, we were not a part of Him. We were lost. We were sinners. Christ took us and He cut us off of what we were and He planted us in Jesus Christ. And now we're a part of something that we used to not be a part of because of the grace of Jesus Christ, right? So it tells us kind of a history. And I know I just put a lot of stuff in a, a very few words. But secondly, this is also a guide for us as we live as his followers. As we live as Jesus' followers, we've got to be careful not to embrace the same attitude that caused the original people of God to miss out on who Jesus was. That's why we have to embrace the kindness of and the sternness of God. And third, this church, this chapter is prophetic. It tells about the future of the church and the future of Israel, which I think is just more, I think it's important. If you're going to dare watch the news today, you, you need to understand that God is not done with Israel. Right? He's not done with His people. He hasn't written them off. Okay? 
And so help us track through that, I want to talk to you about one word, the word remnant. Would you say that with me out loud this morning? Remnant. How many of you use that word in your everyday vernacular? Remnant. I don't use it a whole lot, but I think we all know what it means. The, the earliest and the most often used term of remnant I've ever heard outside of talking about the church and things of God, the only person that used the word remnant in a, in a pretty, uh, pretty often part of her vernacular was my mom. My mom was a businesswoman, but she was also, uh, she also knew how to sew. When she was a kid, you know, my mom was the youngest of eight brothers and sisters, and, and if you were in that family, you learned how to sew. And so uh, I still have my mother's sewing machine at my house. You know why? I don't. I just... <laughs> because it was hers. That's the only reason. But, but she, would, she would go to... There were so many Saturdays that were uh, just nightmares to me because... Me and my mother and her sister and her two daughters, I was outnumbered and I would get drugged to the fabric department of Walmart. How many remember when Walmart had a fabric department, right? And we'd be drugged into the fabric stores and they would buy these patterns and they'd buy this material and we'd go home and she'd start making dresses and curtains and all this stuff. And I was not allowed to touch any of it. Except there was a red metal, kind of maroon-colored metal box. It was round in shape. I don't know what came in it. And it was always set to the side. And inside that red box was material that I was allowed to touch. It, were, it was material, if she made a dress or whatever, she always bought extra, and, and she would cut out those pieces, and but the leftovers she would put in that box, and she would say, "You can mess with that." And I'd say, "Well, why can why can I mess with that and not the others?" And she said, "Well, well, those are my remnants, right?" And I would say, "Well, if they're remnants, what, why are you saving them?" And her answer was always the same, because someday I'm going to make out something out of what's left over. How many understand God's in the business of making something out of what's left over? Amen? He's the God of the remnant. He makes something out of what seems to be left over. He's the God who makes something, it's seemingly sometimes out of nothing. I want to tell you today, if it feels like your life has been cut off of, we serve the God of the remnant. He's the God that takes what doesn't seem to be enough and makes something beautiful out of it, right? We have to be comfortable. Some, some people, I know I'm going to rub somebody the wrong way today, and you can just get mad and then get over it. But, but here's the thing. Some people feel like the church can never be the church unless Christians are in the majority. Local government, state government, national government, in a community that, that it is all just gone to hell in a handbasket unless the majority of people are in power and control. Can I just tell you that would be wonderful But God has never needed the majority to make a difference. One point, all it took was one little girl named Esther to redeem all of God's people. I remember when 
I don't remember, I wasn't there, but, but I remember reading. <laughs> the Bible says when many people started walking away from Jesus, and Peter started panicking, and he said, Lord, don't you care that all these people are walking away from you? And what did Jesus say? He said, do you want to leave too? That's what he asked. Do you want to leave too? Why was Jesus not bothered like Peter was bothered? Because Jesus knows, he knew, I don't need everybody. I just need somebody who will listen and respond. That's what it means to be a part of the remnant. See, a remnant is it's a great picture of the kindness of God and the severity of God. Severity in the part that, yes, some things get cut out and taken away, but kindness because we have been invited to be part of what's left and used for His glory. So how do I respond to the kindness and the severity of God, especially how it'll be a part of the remnant that God has for him. Israel, we're going to talk about, still has a remnant of Jesus followers today. But here's how I'll become a part of it. Number one is I have to believe Jesus even when others refuse. Paul said, I asked, did God reject his people? Has God rejected Israel? You know, if you look at, at, at their response to Jesus, I mean, Jesus came in a supernatural fashion, a virgin birth, and yet it was not, not made a big deal. He was rejected at his birth. He lived a sinless, miraculous life before the people, and yet even the miracles did not attract by and large, the masses to Jesus. He died a sacrificial death. Surely this would bring acceptance of the Messiah to his people, but even that did not get his attention. And then on the third day after his death, he rose again. He was seen by over 500 people for days on end. Surely that would get the attention of his people, but yet they denied that Jesus was the Messiah. And here's Paul saying, does, does that mean God has written off his people for all time? And he answers the question by, by, by no means at all. He says, look at me. I'm exhibit A. I'm still serving and trusting God. There's still a remnant that chooses to believe in Jesus. Friends, in 2024, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for the church today? What it means is this. The old song I learned in kids' church, though none go with me, still I will follow. Amen? Though none go with me, still I'm going to follow Jesus. Does it feel better when I get to follow Jesus in a crowd? Absolutely, absolutely yes, every day and twice on Sundays. It is much more comfortable when I get to follow Jesus in a crowd. But friends, if I have to follow him alone, if I have to believe him alone, I'm going to choose to believe the word of God. Well, Pastor, what, 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 what's the difference between the people that kind of get severed Experience the severity of God and those that experience the kindness of God. It's, it's, it could be found on one word. Responsiveness. Am I responsive to believe the word of God? I want to tell you something that is not popular, but I'm going to tell you anyway. 
ignoring the Word of God brings the spiritual judgment of spiritual blindness to our lives. Look at the Scripture. God gave them a spirit of stupor, that spiritual judgment upon these people. Eyes that could not see and ears so they could not hear to this very day. When we ignore the voice of God long enough, you will get to the point where you no longer hear it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, even to this day, when the law of Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. They can't hear about the goodness of God. Well, pastor, what if, what if I've been ignoring the Lord so long that He no longer speaks to me? What if I've been running so hard? Well, number one, here's the good news. If you even care about that scenario, that means He's still dealing with you. And here's more good news, because verse 16 says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When anyone turns to the Lord, those blinders that is put on there is taken away. We have to never lose our spiritual responsiveness to the things of God. I want to challenge us to make sure we are always being sensitive and responsive to the Word of God. You know, I don't know if you've ever test drove a, a sports car. Guys, if you've been looking for a reason to, you can tell your wife, hey, pastor said that I should go try this out. I think the new vets are worth trying out. Um, but responsiveness. When, when they ask, if you test drive a sports car, one of the questions they'll brag about or you'll ask is, well, how responsive was it? And, and responsiveness, it, it deals with how quick a car responds to the driver's inputs. In other words, how far did I have to push the gas pedal? How hard did I have to hit the brakes? How far did I have to turn the wheel? Did I have to turn it, you know, did I have to go two or three inches before I before it would turn, like my grandma's old caddy, or, or you know, when I hit the brake, and it didn't, you know, responsiveness. Let me just ask you this way. How much or how hard does God have to press us to get our attention? That's our responsiveness to the Lord. Number two, so we, have to const- we have to constantly make room for the Lord. Would you say this with me? I've got to make room for the Lord. Here we see the kindness and the severity of God. If some of the branches, in verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, what what does that mean? Something that wasn't originally a part, but now have been made a part, have been grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Look at verse 25, let's skip down. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, so that you are not conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. The remnant makes room for more and more. What, what, what I want to do is I want to make sure we don't have the wrong attitude about being part of... I, I believe that God has a remnant of His followers, His church the Church of Jesus Christ in 2024 across the world, including here in America. 
I believe that. He's always going to have it. And they are not, you, you can't tell them apart by the label on their church on the outside. You can tell who is part of the remnant, who is part of God's church by the allegiance to God's Word on the inside. Who's following the Word of God. But the remnant is not about saying, let's get our four together, let's get our family together, let's get our church together, and let's try to ride this thing out until Jesus comes. Let's try to just just stay as far away from society as possible. Let's not let anything touch us, and let's make sure that we never touch others. But we understand that God has set us apart so that we can bring others in. Some branches were removed, so now other branches can be added. Paul said, I want to tell you this mystery. And he says, there's a hardening hardening in the part of Israel until the full number of Gentiles has come in. What does that talk about? That means there is a window of opportunity that God is wanting you and I to take advantage of to bring people into the kingdom of God. I want to say that again. There is a window of opportunity that God wants you and I to take advantage of to bring people into the kingdom of God. In other words, there is an urgency to the hour. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, For in my time, in the time of favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. There's a window. Friends, if you are in the room today or watching online, there is a window of opportunity for each of us to respond to the Lord. And I want to challenge you, don't negate your opportunity. How did the severity of God show up to the early people of Israel? Why? Why do we see the severity of God towards them and the kindness of God towards us? Because they didn't respond to the Word of God. They didn't respond to their visitation. They didn't respond to to who God is. Listen, God is rich in mercy and will give grace to anyone who responds. You can look in the Old Testament. You remember that that lady whose name was was Rahab? She was a prostitute in Jericho. I mean, you want to talk about someone that had nothing to do with the people of God. That's her. But she heard about God. She heard about the God of Israel. And so when those, when those spies came into Jericho and they were about to get found out, Rahab said, hey, we've heard about your God. We've heard about how he delivers you, how he protects you. We, I, want, I want to align my life with your God. And so she hid the spies and she snuck them out the window. And they gave her that secret code on how to, her life would be spared. And from that day on, she began to be grafted into the people of God. She was grafted in so much that she eventually married a man. And they had a son. And their son's name was Boaz. Remember who Boaz was? Boaz is introduced to you. I know I'm about out of time, but I'm going to keep talking anyway. 
Remember another lady in kind of that same position? Her name was Ruth. She was a Moabitess. She was not part of God's family either. But, but uh, Naomi and her two sons had moved away in famine. And, they, and one of her sons married this girl named Ruth, or Moabitess. And, and her, her husband died, and her brother-in-law died, and her father-in-law died. And now here's there's Naomi, and she tells her two daughter-in-laws, y'all just stay here. Apparently, Apparently, this is not working out for me. I'm going to go home. Y'all just stay here and start over. And what did Ruth say? Ruth said, no, no, no. Where you go, I go. Your God will be my God. And she went in, and she ends up serving her mother-in-law in a foreign land to her among the Israelites. And she happens to marry a man who's and his family was sort of the same way, an outsider to become an insider. The man's name was Boaz, who they had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David. I'm just saying, God's got a, he's got a huge, rich history of taking outsiders and making them insiders, which you and I all are, if we'll simply respond to the Word of God. Even in the New Testament. Peter was on his rooftop praying one day and he had that dream of all kinds of food coming down on a picnic blanket. I know this is the Greg Sanders version here. I'm quoting this to you. But he has this huge version of this vision of, of, of a blanket coming down with all these kind of foods on there. And Peter looks at him and he says, oh, those are unclean foods. Those are things that a Jew like me, I would never, they're not kosher. I would never eat those things. And God tells the Tells Peter, what do you say? Don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And as he's having this dream, there's a knock at a door, and a man from the house of Cornelius says, Listen, my master has sent me to get you to come and preach to him. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he begins to preach Jesus to them. And as he's preaching to them, the Holy Spirit comes upon that audience and they begin to have the same baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues, the same experience as Peter is preaching to these Gentiles that the Jews had had on the day of Pentecost. And when this event is over, Peter gets called on the carpet because the rulers of the, of, of the Christian, early Christian churches say, hey, listen, you're, you're preaching to these Gentiles and you're supposed to be preaching to the Jews. And Peter says, listen, I was just preaching Jesus. And all of a sudden, these people who are not of us begin, begin to be saved and filled with the Spirit just like us. And so if God wants to save them and fill them just like He did us, who am I to tell them they can't be a part of the family of God? And I said, Peter, you got a good point. And those who were not a part became a part. I'm just saying all that. Don't let... As part of God's people, it's not, it's not a time for us to become stingy or self-righteous. It's a time for us to be extending God's grace continually. Third this morning, as part of the remnant, it requires us to maintain a right relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 19. It says, you will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Listen to this command. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. What, what am I talking about today? The kindness and the severity of God. The kindness of God is we can all be right 
with God through Jesus Christ. But he says, don't be arrogant, because if he did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either, if we do not continue standing in faith. That's why he says in verse 22, we've got to continue in the kindness of God. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If any man remain in me and I remain in him, you can, you can bear much fruit. But we've got to remain in him. We've got to remain in him. Fourth this morning, Megan, if you want to come. Fourth, we have to believe that God's calling is irrevocable. Now, I told you I was going to teach you th- talk about three things this morning. First one, the history, how we became a part of this thing. Number two, the requirement of this thing we're in today. We have to be keenly aware of the kindness and the severity of God. It's not... Every day, God is leading us through His kindness. And we've got to be careful to respond to it or we will experience the severity of it, of disobedience. I know that's tough sledding to hear. But it's the truth. It's the truth for you. It's the truth for me. We've got to remain in Him. We cannot embrace fellowship with Jesus and embrace fellowship with the world at the same time. The kindness of Jesus says, come on in. All you here are weary, and all you here are thirsty, all you here are heavy, heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. But he, he's also telling us you can't fellowship with me and fellowship with them. There's got to be a, it's the kindness and the severity. But then, Verse number four, Paul says, by the way, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. So just as God originally started off, the gospel first goes to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And though the majority of the Jews rejected him, and the Gentiles took full advantage of the open door to come to Jesus, God has not changed his mind on his people. He has not forsaken the Jewish people. Verse 26 through 29. Listen to verse number 26. This is powerful. And so all Israel will be saved. When, the, when Jesus comes again, there's going to be gospel witnesses released among the people of Israel, and all those who are living at that time are going to come to confess that Jesus is Lord. Here we are, 2,000 years, since Jesus, since Paul wrote these words. And can I tell you, there is a remnant of Jesus' followers among the Jewish people today. And one day that remnant is not going to become just the majority. One day that remnant is going to be all of them. They are all going to come to Jesus. They're all. Why? Because his, his promises, his callings are irrevocable. 
He hasn't changed his mind about his people. What about us, Pastor? Well, you and I have been grafted in. So that reminds me of this. He's not going to change his mind about you either. His promises and his callings and his giftings upon your life, they're not expired either. He has not changed his mind about you. His calling on your life is not over. The kindness of God is still reaching out to you. And maybe today, all year, maybe your experience, you said, Pastor, I just feel like all I've done is I've, been, I've just been experiencing the severity of God. It feels like my life has just been heartache after heartache, and, and you know you've been running from the Lord. Can I tell you, all of that, the kindness and the severity works together to accomplish one thing, and that's our salvation, the salvation of mankind. So I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning and I want to pray for a couple of people today. I want to pray, number one, for the person in the room or watching online today, connecting with us online. I want to pray for the people who are far from God today. You have not been grafted in to the family of God, but today He's calling you. He's calling those that are far from God to be made near to God. And he's not calling you out to make fun of you or to condemn you. He's calling you out to transform you, to save you, to graft you in, to make you part of his family. So, so it can be said of you, those who were once far from God are now called sons and daughters of God, heirs with Christ. They say, Pastor, I'm not a Jesus follower, but I just I sense the call of God for my life today. I sense the Spirit of God drawing me to come to Him, to come to Him as He is, as I am. And I'm going to let Him change me. I'm not going to try to change Him. I'm going to let Him change me in any way possible, any way that's needed today. I'm just here to submit to Him. You say, Pastor, He's drawing. I, I sense the power of the Lord drawing me to Himself today. Would you just lift a hand real quick? Let's see, Pastor, pray for me. Amen. Secondly today, church family, let me remind all of us, don't forget the kindness and the severity of the Lord. I think it's so, so important for us that have been Jesus followers for so long to never let our confidence in Jesus be replaced with arrogance in ourselves. We must never trade the righteousness of God for self-righteousness. That's basically what happened to the people that Paul was so desperately trying to reach. They had, they had traded. Jesus was trying to give them a righteousness that was not of their own. But they settled for self-righteousness. I want to challenge us as God's people today. Never Never make that exchange. Never forget both the kindness and the severity of God because He wants to lead you, guide you, use you. His calling upon your life is without repentance. So we've got to remain in Him. And if we remain in Him, He will remain 
in us. So, Father, I pray this morning for those who lifted their hands, saying they're far from you, but they want to come near to you today. Their, their, their desire inside of them is not self-birth. It's not self-given. That desire to come to you, Lord, it is from you. That is evidence that your spirit is speaking to them. So as they respond to the voice of God this morning, I pray that you would lead them, guide them, direct them. I pray today, Lord, the word reminds us that if we will confess with our mouths, believe in our heart, Lord, and admit that you are the Son of God, you are who you say you are, and that we are a sinner that's in need of God, Lord, that you would save us. Lord, I pray you'll do that today. And God, for all of us in the room, every Jesus follower, you've called us to be a part of something that we once were not a part of, the family of God. And you've also called us to extend that opportunity to others and to stand boldly in faith in you. Because, Lord, you never needed, you never needed a majority to make a difference. You just needed a person who was fully committed to Christ. And you have changed history over and over again with people who are simply committed to Jesus. And we say, Lord, we want to be that people. We want to be your remnant. Lord, we love, we love, this, we love the thrill of the majority, but God, we're, we're committed to be your people anywhere, anytime, all the time that you would lead us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.